once you once you've started being sexual with somebody, you can overlook so many red flags. Like the person starts acting narcissistic in, in narcissistic ways, or the person starts being rude or uh, overbearing or materialistic or uh, things that you had said before you would never tolerate. But because they're now your sexual partner, you start overlooking that stuff. Hello, friend. I am BJB, the showman, and welcome to the number one podcast of conscious learning and storytelling. Now, each week on the podcast, I get to share a conversational space with someone amazing and insightful who, through their journey in life, is constantly learning and is willing to share their stories with us. So today's guest is a sought-after speaker, coach, spiritual leader, teacher, and an influencer, Laurie Hosa. Aside from her speaking and coaching activities, she is an author, co-founder of a learning center and hospital in Nigeria. I've always wanted to do this, and I'm glad that we finally found the time to get on with it. Welcome. Yay! Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I love the great work you're doing. I hope I did good with the introduction, though, because... Um... I mean, you made me sound like, <laughs> like, like some superhero. She's going to fly in and save the day. Yeah, I mean, you literally saved the For day. Real? Yeah, because oh, I yeah? see sometimes when you you put up a, a few things on your social media page, uh, like Instagram, some quotes you, you put up, and they are inspiring. And they, I think they can save the day. If someone gets to read them and say to themselves, you know what, I need to change my perspective to things. I need to switch up my narrative. So uh, my life will be better because of the words that Laurie Dahosa shared on Instagram. The people reach um, out to you and say, yeah, I mean, the words you, you actually, shared on Instagram did something to me. I get, I get some amazing feedback. Sometimes I'm really like blown away at the stuff people say like they're like oh I was going through this exactly today and you're speaking into my situation today I'm gonna apply this now and I'm gonna leave this situation now because you said yeah. I'm like you know it's, it's just amazing to me how powerful that tool is for people that you know people really live in that space and yeah. they they take it almost like almost like the secular world takes their horoscopes if that makes sense like some people that are not in the god space you know they they read their horoscopes and they feel like that directs them in the day for some reason in the social media space, a lot of the people, even in the God community, take it as like, oh, this is my word for today. This is directed at me. And it just, it amazes me. It amazes me how impactful you can be in that, in that space when you're just thinking, this is something that speaks to me. And then suddenly, suddenly you're finding out that it's speaking deeply into somebody else's life. It's, it's humbling. It's really humbling. It's interesting you say this because we decide to use our platforms, you know, differently as influencers, as, you know, teachers, mm -hmm. coaches, and all that. Use that platform to reach out to the people that most need that influence or those words of affirmation, so to speak. But uh, let's go back to your social media. Yeah. Let's still talk about the fact that uh, you use it to inspire, you use it to reach out to people. Did that start initially when you, you know, got on your various social media platforms or was something that over the years and you built on it? I don't think that I really sat down and had like this, uh, this prototype that I did for saying, this is how I want to manage my social media space. I think I manage my social media space very much like I manage my life. Um, okay. There's no specific strategy per se. I'm very authentic in that space. So when I started being in the social media space, I was just my authentic self. I was just real. If I'm going through something, I'll share. This is what I learned because I believe a lot of times people go through stuff the hard way. They, they learn the hard way when you don't have to. 
if somebody else has uh, tried and failed, learn from their mistakes. And then you don't have to go through the pain of failure. I've always lived in this mindset of, you know, helping others and being, being a support and a strength to people. And so if I've learned something or I've gone through something, I want to, I want to share it. And a lot of the things that I share are based on God's word. I do a lot of um, scripture-based conversations and they're not necessarily like in your face Bible, but -hmm. they're the way that I apply the Bible to my life. And very practical things. I'm not like teaching deep, heavy revelation of like the exegesis of this, you know, scripture or something. Yeah. But, but I'm a very practical person when it comes to spiritual life. And I believe that the Bible has been some, has been my source of strength. And a lot of times I'm just able to take what I've gleaned from certain scriptures and been able to apply to help me through stuff that could have been disastrous for me. So, and I share it because I'm like, look, if I've, I don't share details, by the way. I don't tell people like, oh, I was going through this and this is the story, but I'll share like the principle behind it and say, you know, when you're in a relationship, you need to set boundaries. And these are the way you set boundaries. This is why you set boundaries. I don't tell people about the problems I had with boundaries. I don't go into like airing my dirty laundry on the street, but I do, um, I do share the, the results of the decisions that I made and hopefully people can take it and apply and make, make good decisions themselves. And what I'm saying is, is that I don't, um, I never like sat down and said, Oh, I want to use my space. I, I treat my social media space very much like I treat my other relationships. I don't say things in that space that I wouldn't want to read myself. So mm-hmm. if it's not something that would speak to me, then I'm not going to put it out there to speak to somebody else. Interesting. You talked about your spiritual life. We'll talk about that a bit later, but I want to know you, what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> well, right now um, I'm living in the U.S. So my typical day is very different than my okay. days when I was living in Nigeria. Um, right now I'm in the U.S. taking care of my children. They're in school here. I'm also working full time. And so my day starts, my alarm goes off at six in the morning. Um, and I hate that 6 a.m. alarm. Let me just tell you right now, like it goes off and I hit the snooze on my phone. And then 10 minutes later, I hit the snooze again. This is how my day actually starts. I snooze and snooze. And then, <laughs> and then I, then I like look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't wake up the kids right now, then we're all going to be late. And so then I rush up and I start getting the kids out of bed and getting, making sure they have their school clothes and their showers and their food and their backpacks and all their stuff ready. And I take them to school. Uh, After I take my kids to school, oh, sorry, on the way to school, uh, we have our uh, family prayer and devotions, which is pretty cool. Um, My husband calls in on a video call every single morning Mm -hmm. and uh, says good morning to the boys, uh, prays over them, um, shares something with them to kind of like give them direction for their day. I mean, our drive to school is all of 10 minutes. So this is like in a 10 minute drive, they get a video call with their dad. They say their prayers. Um, and then we just kind of try to like give them some type of like pep talk, like today's going to be a great day. You can do this, you know, like words of so a, by the affirmation time, or something like that. Yes, exactly. We do words of affirmation. We do. Um, we like try to hype them a bit before school <laughs> so that they get in there with this expectation that they're going to seize the day. Um, and then after that, I stop and buy a cup of coffee. Can I be honest? And then <laughs> that is needed in the morning, right? <laughs> yes. And I usually don't have time before I take them to school to even drink a cup of coffee. So I stop and buy a cup of coffee. And then sometimes I stay in my car 
and I sit in my car and I drink my coffee and then I get in the house, get myself ready and I start my work day. Uh, right now I'm working from home, which is fabulous. Uh, so I'm able to go into my home office and have all my Zoom meetings and do all of my emails and my writing and all the other things that I do that's related to, to my job. And then um, I pick up the boys in the afternoon and then uh, come back home and continue my work day. Uh, one of the things I do with my boys in the afternoon is we do a scoring of the day. So we, we give them a chance to give their um, one to 10. So we say, you know, on a score, a score of one to 10, one being the worst day you've ever had, 10 being the best day you've ever had, how would you score today? Ask them the same question every single day. And so, you know, some days we get a 10 over 10, a 12 over 10. Some days we get a zero over 10. Um, I'm really deliberate with my kids. If I'm going to give you an order of my day, I would say my priority is my children. Grateful that I'm able to fit in a lot of work, but really my priority is the boys. And so, you know, we, we kind of allow that to, to go into our evening. And then I, after I finish working in the evening, when we get home, I do homework with the boys. My boys have about three hours of homework each per night. And so we all sit in the house. They have their different spaces between my office, the dining table, the kitchen table. They sit down and they work on their homework. And I go from boy to boy, uh, you know, correcting their homework, making sure they're on task and all of that. Um, sometimes I cook dinner. Sometimes I don't. Um, sometimes I just order food and have it delivered. I won't lie. Um, <laughs> like, how I go about it is just nothing short of a miracle. You see, that's what, that's, just not that's what we said earlier. We talked about the superhuman in you and your ability to do all <laughs> these things, put all this together in a whole day. I mean, it sounds busy, but there's so much put in it. There's so much thought put in that routine of yeah. yours. Now, what's the goal when you say you sit down with your kids after school to, you know, go about their day and rate it? What is the goal? The reason why we do that is really because I want them to feel they have someone they can talk to. I don't want the children to bottle up their emotions or their experiences, you know, because when we bottle stuff up on the inside, it explodes in areas we didn't expect. Mm. Um, you'll find that if you don't have someone to talk to, you start getting angry with people or you start isolating in your room or um, there's just all different types of things that happen when you don't express your emotions. And so I'm really deliberate with the boys to give them an opportunity to express and, and in a non-judgmental way. I mean, in that space where we're asking about the zero to 10 of your day, you can tell me that you got in a fight and you punched a boy in the face and this and that happened. And I'm not going to scream at you. I'm going to listen and I'm going to like, wow, how did you feel when you did that? Did you feel good about punching him in the face? <laughs> you know, and then I'm not, there's no judgment. So it's a non judgment zone. And they know that. And so they talk so openly. I mean, they'll, they'll tell me things that I'm like, whoa, I don't think I could have ever told my parents that or even had this conversation with my parents. I mean, the other day, my, my nine-year-old asked me a question that just made me go, whoa, you guys talk about that kind of stuff at this age? Like, I didn't know about that stuff until I was in, out of college. Like, this is deep stuff. I'm like, and so they, they ask questions that are very, um, it, it gives me a chance to learn them and to know, yeah. um, you know, what do they talk about? What do they know? What are, you know, what's in their space? And so that, um, that non-judgment, that judgment-free zone 
is is a major part of that goal so that they know that they can talk about anything. I, I know you share a lot about your relationship with your kids when you, you mm -hmm. know, post up their birthdays and you guys are out <laughs> for lunch or something. You're taking them to a new spot or all the holidays and the tours you do. I was asked recently about fatherhood. It took me a while to put myself in that box of fatherhood, just so to speak. You know, the meaning of fatherhood and the thought of being a good father, if I was doing it right or I'm, am I doing it wrong? You know, I know friends of mine who are currently being scrutinized, let me use that word, mm. or their, their parenting skills. There's a, like a microscope on their parenting skills from uh, their folks, extended family or the society and all that. Now, what do you say to people like that who are going through that sort of stuff right now? What I do, um, what I would say is, is don't, don't treat your children in a way that you wouldn't want to be treated. Mm. So think about it like when you make a mistake, how do you want people to treat you when you make a mistake? Do you want people to embrace you and love you and help you through it? Or do you want to be judged and hit and punished? Um, now, I'm not saying I don't punish the children or I don't discipline the children. There's certainly discipline involved. But I try not to treat them the way I wouldn't want to be treated. You know, I, I'm trying try to be very deliberate and, just, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And I think it's it's our responsibility as parents to be a guide, to be a support, to um, teach the ways to go and then be there too when they fall, when they mess up, when they, when they fail, um, how you handle their failure has a, a large, uh, part to play in, um, how they handle failure later in life. Um, when you teach them coping skills, you know, say, okay, you didn't pass that test. I get it. Um, so what can we do different next time? Instead of you didn't pass that test, okay, that's it. I'm taking away all your technology. I'm taking away all your fun. I'm going to, you know, spoil your whole week for you. No, you didn't pass the test. So what did we do wrong? We, we didn't read the right study guide. We didn't, you know, do this. Okay. So next time, how are we going to get it right? And then, you know, show them in a loving way, how they can um, overcome the obstacles that they're facing. Because at the end of the day, you're raising people, you're raising your children to be adults. And so you want to treat them in a way and, and train them in a way that gives them the skills uh, for adulthood. So you're training them to be independent. You're training them to be, um, you know, to be critical thinkers. You're training them to uh, manage uh, their, their good times and their bad times and put them all into perspective. And, you know, so do unto others as you'd have them do to you. So don't, don't do something to your children that you wouldn't want somebody to do to, do to you. Don't create bad memories, create good memories. Um, and you can create good memories even out of bad days. Okay. Let's talk about your spiritual journey. I, I read that you became a preacher at 18. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That happened. That happened, right? <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, was that like a responsibility that you had to take up or was it more of an outcome of you finding your own spiritual path? Can I just be really honest with you? Why I became a reverend at 18? Because it's neither of those two things. Okay. Ooh, okay. So, yeah. So I had gone to Bible school out of high school. And um, after I finished, you know, from graduated from high school, before I went to college, I went to Bible school. So I did my Bible school and I, I graduated high school a little early. So I had time. Anyways, anyway, so I did Bible school. Then I decided that I wanted to be an emergency medical technician, like a paramedic. And so I was going through paramedic training and I was working in the hospital and they brought in this guy dead. Um, he was 28 years old. His name was Jose. And they brought him in and the doctor 
was like, cause I was, I was in training. The doctor says to me, he's like, have you ever felt a human heart? And I'm like, of course I've never felt a human heart. Like, I mean, like, I'm like a kid. And so he was like, here, I want you to put your hands in this guy's chest. And I want you to do internal chest compressions. And so I put my hand inside, he cracked open the ribs and I put my hands inside this guy's chest. And I'm like compressing his heart. And then, I mean, they called the time of death and everything. The guy didn't survive. Then the doctor says to me, have you ever um, informed a family of the death of a loved one? And I said, no, I've never done that. He was like, all right, this is what I want you to say. A, B, C, D. You're going to go in there and meet the wife and tell the wife that her husband's dead. So I did. I went in and I said, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Padilla, you know, I'm so sorry. We did everything we could. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Jose has gone. He's no longer with us. And she cried. And then the doctor tells me, you've got to stay with the body until the family leaves. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a big Spanish family. And like, I'm saying like 30, 40 people. I sat with that body for like three hours in the emergency room while all of them came in, cried over the body. And I'm standing there with the dead body, like, you know, comforting the family. And I spent my whole day that day, you know, in that space. Fast forward to Monday, that was on a Friday. Monday, I'm at work and I was working at the church and I was answering the phones at the church. And I answered the phone and this lady calls in and she's like, you guys don't know me, but my husband died on Friday. Um, when he was in prison, he was a, a student in Gary Whetstone's Bible school because my dad has Bible schools in the prison. And so she was like, and we don't have a church or anything, but my husband died on Friday. His name's Jose Padilla. <gasps> Oh and God. I'm like, oh my God. So I'm like, I hate to cut you short. I said, do you remember the, the redheaded lady who was with you in the emergency room, you know, when your husband passed? And she says, yes, yes. Her name was Laurie. And I was like, that's me. I'm that person. And she was like, wow. She said, I don't know any other Christian person. And she was like, so why don't you, can you handle my husband's funeral? Were you, and they were young. He was 28 years old. She's like, can you handle my husband's funeral? And um, she was like, you speak Spanish. And I said, yeah, I do. And she was like, because I need a pastor that speaks Spanish and English because our family is all Spanish speaking. And I was like, I was like, okay, no problem. I can, I can do it, but let me find out. So I went back and I'm like, uh, this lady wants me to do her funeral. What do I do? And they're like, oh, you have to be a reverend. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to be a reverend. I'm studying to be a paramedic. Like what? And so I did, I got licensed on the spot. Like I filled out the, the, the form, I paid my little fee and I became a reverend like that week, that week. And I did the funeral the next week and I did it bilingual in Spanish and English. So that was how I actually, it wasn't like I was responding to some great big call. I was responding to a need that a family had. And that was when I became a reverend. That's a pretty good school story. I, I, I couldn't have imagined it. You know, in my mind, um, there's a conception about um, ministers or spiritual teachers. There is this uh -huh. deep call that you need to feel or responsibility that comes to you. And there are other misconceptions, really. But as a spiritual teacher, what is the huge misconception that you have come across that people have about spiritual teachers? And why do you think that misconception exists? I think people think we're not real people. <laughs> I think there's this mindset that like there's some angelic presence that we have that and we don't like we're human just like everybody else we have needs and temptations and desires and blah 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 just like everybody else and I think that's where people get it wrong they think that because we've accepted uh, a calling or we've accepted a title or a responsibility that we now have some superpowers to overcome every 
thing that the normal human life would have. And, and we don't. And I think part of that is our fault. I think pastors have put themselves on such a high pedestal uh, that has tried to like make people think that they're like mini gods and they, <laughs> they're like, they're not real. And I think that's, you know, part of that is, is a, um, a technique that people have used to just protect them from, you know, being judged or protect them from, uh, you know, being seen, uh, you know, so that they don't, they're not disrespected. You know, there's a lot of reasons I think that are behind all of this, but I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about pastors is they're not real people mm. and they don't have real, um, real, real situations. If we can get past that, we'll be in a better place. True. Aside from um, you being a spiritual teacher and a leader, I, I want to talk about you being an author. Um, I want to talk about your book, 22. I recently went back to, okay. to it, you know, recently went back to read it. And I have a few questions. In lesson nine of that book, you talked about planning for marriage and not the wedding. And, <laughs> okay. And, and in the book, and I want to quote it, you, you said, when you focus on building the character that it takes to sustain a marriage, you will be steadfast immovable and loyal to your commitment where do you think people get it wrong in marriage is it not being able to build those characters or that trait before the vows or not compromising enough to get building while in the marriage well i believe i believe that people see marriage as a means to an end um unfortunately so they see marriage as you know okay i need to get into marriage so that i have financial stability I need to get into marriage so that I have a sexual companion. I need to get into marriage so that I can have children to keep my parents from being on my neck about making them grandparents. Um, I need to get into marriage so that I can be accepted in society as being somebody who's responsible. And the reasons that people get into marriage is one of the main reasons why marriages are not succeeding the way that they should. I believe that you should be a whole and complete person. I believe that you should have worked on your character, worked on who you are as an individual, and then you're now bringing this completion into the, to the table and you're, you're adding your strength to somebody else's strength and you're impacting the world or you're, you know, like when Adam and Eve, when they were, when they came together, of course, they were created by God. Uh, when they were created, the first thing God told them to do was to have dominion. And a lot of people don't get into marriage to have any kind of dominion. They just get into marriage as, you know, let me just shut my parents up. Or, you know, I really have strong feelings for this guy or this girl. And because I have all these strong feelings, we should just get married. And strong feelings don't sustain a marriage. Character does. And so work on yourself, build yourself, uh, develop yourself, and then you'll be um, a stronger person for the, the bond that you eventually create in marriage. Let's just stay on the book, 22. Lesson seven, you talked about love being more than great sex, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you talk about the best conversations and the deepest connections with someone will always happen before the relationship becomes sexual. Now, my question is, yeah. um, thinking about that, it, it sort of makes sense. But why do you think that is? Why do you think we have the best connections pre-sex? Well, I think that we all work harder in our relationships before we have sex. <laughs> I think that like you work, you work harder to, to win the person over and you're vulnerable and you're open. One, okay, once you start having sex with somebody, it's kind of like, okay, that's what we do now. We have sex. And so when you get together again, you're having sex and you're, you're building your sexual chemistry and your sexual relationship instead of building your communication. 
in other areas. I mean, sex is a form of communication, but it's not the form of communication that helps you really know the person in the way that they need to be known to marry them. It just helps you know if you have great sexual chemistry and sexual chemistry doesn't sustain a marriage. And so um, I always encourage people to delay that part of, of their relationship so that they can build something and really know the person because sex also clouds the brain. I mean, once, you, once you've started being sexual with somebody, you can overlook so many red flags. Like the person starts acting narcissistic in, in narcissistic ways or the person starts being rude or uh, overbearing or materialistic or uh, things that you had said before you would never tolerate. But because they're now your sexual partner, you start overlooking that stuff and you stay with somebody that really, if you had taken your time to think about it, you wouldn't stay with them. And so uh, that's why I encourage people build, 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 use the dating relationship time to get involved in fact finding, get to know them, get to know their, their thoughts, their feelings, their successes, their failures, their motivations, their character uh, before you know their body. Because let's just be real, you can build sexual chemistry with anybody. Sexual chemistry is something that you, um, you have to learn each other. You learn what works and what doesn't work. And so anybody, I believe, can have great sex, uh, but not anybody can have a great relationship. And so I think that build, build the relationship before the sex, because the sex is going to cloud your vision. Yeah. Let's talk about your cultural journey. You, you're, okay. well tra- you're well traveled. You've been yeah. to, you've been and lived in many cities around the world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, your experience with Nigeria, back to Delaware, one thing I'd love for you to share with us today is that cultural adapting journey for you. Tell us about the cultural experiences you've had in the cities. Which do you feel more grounded in when you maybe visit or when you go there for a period of time? And, and why do you feel grounded there? So I've, I've lived in lots of different places, as you rightly said. I was a missionary living in Quetzalcoatl in Guatemala. Um, I also lived in Benin City for uh, 18 years. I've lived in the U.S., obviously. That's where I was born and raised, and that's where I am currently. I lived in London, uh, working with a friend of mine, starting a church. So yeah, I've had some experience living in different cultures. And one of the things that, and I could keep going on and on, but I'm not going to give you my list of places where I've lived. But I, um, I always adopt the mindset of the people in whatever culture you're in are not going to change for you. They're not going to adapt to you. You need to adapt to them. And so, um, you know, when you kind of come into an environment uh, feeling like you're an outsider, you're always going to be an outsider. But when you really jump in with both feet and you're like, I'm going to learn the language, I'm going to learn what makes this particular people group tick. What are their values? What are they interested in? Um, There's different senses of humor in different cultures. You know, you learn the sense of humor, you learn... Uh, what what is interesting um, and and you you adapt yourself to the environment instead of expecting the environment to adapt to you and you're going to have a much more culturally balanced experience uh, I've never been a even though I lived as a missionary in Guatemala I never um, really had a missionary mindset in quotes because a missionary mindset is somebody who's like like I'm sent to fix these people and I've never I think when you have that that 
mindset. You're like coming in as like a hero, like I'm going to save the day. I have all the answers. (laughs) And you don't, you don't acknowledge the value of the people that you're sent to or the people that you're serving or the people that you're living in a community with. And so um, don't come in high-minded. Don't come in that you're better than anybody. You know, I find that a lot with, there's some, some cultures in our community that, you know, feel like, oh, you know, we are the superior, uh, tribe or the superior race or the superior this and that it's really counterproductive for anywhere you go so uh, humility has been something that I've used to guide me um, and love and acceptance and understanding and when you come in uh, humble loving accepting and understanding then you're gonna be a lot more uh, effective in uh, climatizing to whatever environment you're in and I have loved living in every place I've lived. I've absolutely loved it. And I'm a different version of Laurie. I'm the same person, but a different expression of Laurie um, in the different environments that I'm in because I adapt to the environment. Just like the Apostle Paul talks about, I'm going to be all things to all men. So if I'm hanging around a group of people that are into hip hop and R&D, then I will be hip hop and R&D to them. If I'm hanging around a whole bunch of uh, wealthy aristocrats, then I'll be the wealthy aristocrat with them. Uh, If I'm hanging around street people, I'll be a street person with them. Um, Because you want to kind of put yourself in the, the, the mindset and the perspective of the person that you're with. And that makes them feel loved, embraced, and accepted. And that's the ultimate goal is to, to build bonds and relationships. And it's in, the, it's in the place of building bonds and relationships that you're actually able to impact a life. Uh, not coming in with, I have the message to save you, or I have the answer for your life, uh, but, but working through stuff together with people in a, in a place of love and, um, and authenticity. And I believe that's, that's what makes cross-cultural relationships and, and cross-cultural living really be effective. That's a great insight to the question. I really like the way you put it. You go into a place, you don't just come in with your own. You want to know what they are about. You want to be part of their system. You don't, you don't want to shove off what their what their heritage says. You want to understand it and learn mm-hmm. as well because your interactions with them, if you're coming in with something, you, you need to know them before you interact with them and pass on that message to them. And that is a great insight. And we're going to go into life lessons right now. I have 10 questions to ask you and you might spend a minute or two minutes or three minutes answering one of those questions, but 10 life lesson questions that I'm going to ask you right now. So (laughs) I'm going to start with this one. What's your most cherished family tradition? Oh, um, tradition is a hard thing to answer, but, um, for me it's togetherness. So wherever that togetherness is togetherness on holidays, togetherness over meals for me, the most cherished family time that that I have or that I try to make sure that we continue is um is just really being in each other's space togetherness question number two now what do you know now that you wish you you didn't know a few years ago when you were younger hmm. so I would say it's probably not to have so much expectation on people mm. because the higher your expectation the higher your disappointment and people don't even know why they're disappointing you. And the expectations were things that you had within yourself that you never communicated in most cases. So that would probably be um, something that I've, I've learned that I think would have, would have helped me more navigate some of my relationships and some of the failures that I've had in relationships. Stop expecting so much out of people. 
accept people for a face value, accept them for what they bring to the table and honor it, cherish it, celebrate it. And don't always, you know, have high standards for people that are not always capable of living up to those standards. Accept people for who they are. Stop having such high expectations that are only going to cloud the relationship from really being successful. Okay. What event do you remember about in your teenage years? And we're going back in time now your teenage years, an event you remember in your teenage years, maybe in your 20s, maybe in your 30s, that stand out in your mind right now? Um, you know, I would probably bring my husband into this, uh, this question because I had a relationship with Feb um, in my teenage years, in my 20s, and in my 30s. And it was different in each of those times. The way our relationship uh, was changed over the years is probably one of one of my my favorite moments or memories or experiences because in my in my teen years I was crazy about Feb. I mean I was like all like starstruck like oh my god I so love him and like I didn't want to imagine life without him. I went to the same college he went to just because I wanted to be in the same space with him. Um, you know it was just he was like heaven and earth to me like a child would look at uh, somebody that they're crazy about. Then I grew in in love and he grew in love and there was a time in our twenties that. Uh, after his father passed away that he told me, um, you know, I have to marry somebody from my culture. Uh, as much as I love you, I'm never going to marry you. Um, so we have to part ways. And I remember um, the profound heartbreak I felt during that time in my 20s. Um, you know, and then some of the decisions that I took, probably not the best decisions after that, um, trying to move on past Feb, um, because I thought that it was over. Um, I thought that he was, you know, never going to be my husband. So, um, you know, I, I think our relationship is, has really gone through so many seasons. And then I remember when um, he came back to me when I was 27 and he said, uh, you know, Laurie, I trust you more than I trust anybody else in the world. And I don't see why you wouldn't be my wife. I can't imagine life without you. And I remember how that made me feel and how that you know turned into marriage a year later. Um, and then I remember the struggles uh, in our early or late 20s, early 30s of living in Nigeria compared, I mean, compared to what I thought life was gonna be like there, um, you know, life was very different than what I expected and navigating those waters. And so I would say my, my most remarkable memories and experiences from my teens into my 30s would be my journey with Feb Idahosa. That's a really good story and a really good event. Something worth sharing all the time. Let's talk about a good life. How do you define a good life or a successful life? And which would you say is the most important for you right now? I would say a good and a successful life is a life that lives purposefully, not living for others, but living for whatever your, your purpose is on this earth. And so when you can discover that purpose, when you can discover why you're here and what your impact is meant to be, and when you make deliberate decisions and you take steps that are in alignment with your purpose, that are in alignment with your particular calling, ability, strength, and you're moving forward in that direction. I, I believe that's that's the answer. That's the the definition of success. Success is certainly not a certain amount of money or a certain amount of fame or followers or any of these transient things. I believe that success is really something that 
is connected to, to your purpose? And are you living purposefully? Are you fulfilling purpose? And when you are, you're successful. Let's talk about the 18-year-old girl that was training for an emergency service. I think that's what you called it, right? Uh, yeah. And became a, a reverend at the end of the day. If you were going to have a conversation with her right now, uh, what would you say to her? What would you tell her? <laughs> I would tell her, you have no idea where your life is going to end up. <laughs> like, I, I mean, if I had looked at my life at 18 and looked at where I am today, it's, it's light years apart. And so enjoy the journey. Enjoy um, every moment. Live in the moment. Enjoy where you are right now. And every place we are right now has extreme value. And I think a lot of us are living too much into where we want to be and not, not appreciating and seeing the value in where we are right now. And so when you live in the moment and you enjoy where you are right now and you maximize it, then the next stage of your life, the next step of your life is only going to add to something remarkable. But when you're always living like, I wish I was better. I wish I was further. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was prettier. I wish I was skinnier or fatter or whatever the case may be. Then you're not, you're not living in the moment. And that's what I would tell uh, my 18 year old self is to enjoy the moments that you're in right now, because you're not going to get them back again. Do you have regrets? I think everybody has regrets. I think that there's no person who can look at their life and say, um, I did it all right. Um, there are certainly things I wish I had done better. Um, certainly things I wish I had not done. And there's certainly things I wish I had done. I mean, I have, I have regrets in the area of finance. I wish I had started, um, you know, a savings plan when I was getting my, I got my first job when I was 14. Um, you know, I was working as a cleaner at 14 and I could have put a portion of that salary away. And I could have been building on that. If I had created a savings culture from my first job, I mean, I would be in a, such a better place financially. Um, although I'm pleased with where I am financially, it could be different. Savings, investing, relationships, so many things. Yes, we all, we all have regrets, but those, those things that we regret are things that we learn from and that, that really make us, make us create kind of the fabric of who we are today. So even the things that we regret are, are part of what makes us um, remarkable today. So regrets have good, good and bad attached to it. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Hmm. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Um, the best advice, I, I would say right now, if I'm going to answer that question, I would say to genuinely forgive because I've lived in the place of not forgiving and it tears you up on the inside. It like, it, it eats you up. It makes you miserable. It makes you depressed and it makes you reflect in very unhealthy ways. And I've also been in the place of forgiveness. And when I've been in that place of forgiving people, I've been so much at peace. I can, you know, I can breathe. I can, I can live. And, um, I, I think it would probably be related to forgiveness. If I, if I asked myself that question today, I would say some of the best advice I've ever been given is to let things go and to forgive and to love again, trust again, believe again. Earlier, you talked about expectations. You don't expect too mm-hmm. much from someone. You don't. What made you change the way you look at people? Hmm, um, probably experience. You know, <laughs> I mean, if, if you don't learn from an experience, then why did you go through it? Uh, so I would say the experiences that I've had have definitely uh, changed the way I perceive people and perceive relationships with people. I think it also time, 
time should mature you. If it doesn't, then something's wrong with how you're managing your time. So learning from my mistakes, choosing my battles, I think has been something that's helped me deal with people the most is I don't uh, major on the minors. So I don't get involved in unnecessary arguments and petty stuff. Like if if I'm going to deal with an issue with somebody, it's going to be because I'm intentionally dealing with it. Um, But if it's something that is really inconsequential, I'm not going to make a big issue over it. If if I don't like the way you handle the toothpaste, I'm not going to fight with you over that because I can buy my own toothpaste. So you deal with yours however you want to deal with yours and I'll deal with mine however I deal with mine. And I'm not going to fight with you over, you know, inconsequential things that, that really have no bearing on the future. And so I think choosing my battles has been something that's really helped me um, navigate relationships. I, I like the toothpaste analogy because uh, that is really, that's an interesting one. I've had a series of issues over the toothpaste. Don't, don't do it that way. Don't squish it that way. No, don't squish the toothpaste that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the proper way to do it. Exactly. And let it. me just be frank with you. In my house, in my house, each of my children and my husband and I, we have our own toothpaste. Oh labeled. my God. This is Laurie's, this is Nate, this is Judah, this is Fed Junior, this is Fed Senior. And we handle our toothpaste however we want, because it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Okay, so we're going to do something called Thoughtful Takes right now. It's five questions with short responses, and however you want to respond to them. They're not really questions, they're phrases. I just want you to react to the phrases um, how best you can. So I'm going to start with this one. Success is the best revenge. Uh, sort of. <laughs> I mean... I mean, why have to have revenge at all? That's my question, my answer. Okay. Why, why must we revenge? Mm, okay. What all are right. we trying so to prove? He has a second one. Normalize saying no without the need to explain yourself. Absolutely. I love that. Um, yes, say no. Okay. Un- unapologetically say no. Okay. What about this? Love is not enough. Yes, love is not enough. My dad told me this one time and uh, he said, man, love is not enough. Don't just go into it because I, you love her. I'm love changes. Your perspective yeah. of love changes. And love is an emotion and emotions come and go. You need, you need a commitment covenant. You need to be way. So, and, and even what, what you think love is at 20 is totally different than the way you see love at 50. Mm. So yes, it's not enough. There should be something extra to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so here's the fourth one. Heal before having children. Heal? Yes, heal before having children. You may never heal, so you may never get kids. (laughs) Whoa, okay. Yeah, so no, I mean, people have kids and they grow along with their kids. You can't Mm. be perfect before you're a parent. Okay. I mean, part of parenting is growing and maturing and yeah, so no, you can't be perfect. If you wait to be perfect before you have children, you'll never have kids. Prayer solves all problems. That is the fifth one. Prayer solves all problems. Prayer, yeah. not necessarily, because prayer needs to be coupled with understanding. You have to have prayer. You have to have understanding. You have to have therapy sometimes. So no, I don't think it's all just pray it away. If you can pray it away, then none of us would ever have problems because we would all just push that magic button of prayer. Mm, yeah. um, I think there's a, it's a lot deeper than that. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me on the podcast. Before we go, let's, let me ask you this. If you were me and you could ask you one question, what would that question be? I don't want to answer that. <laughs> question and I don't want to answer it. No, you're going to ask you that question and give an answer to the question. 
I don't want to answer that question. So if I tell you that you're going to put it out there, <laughs> I can tell you the buttons to push that are going to make me answer stuff. But no, I'm not going to give you the secret to my combination, the secret combinations, Alari. Not on your podcast at all. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. All right. Thank, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate you sharing your time with us. All right. I want to tell the listeners, thank you for your time. I don't take it lightly that you um, invested this time in listening to Boma and I. Thank you for that. I, I really, truly treasure that you gave us your time. So you made a good choice today, listeners. Um, you listened to a good podcast. And, and I hope that you'll continue to listen to this podcast. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Remember to subscribe and let me know what you think about the episode. I will love your feedback. You can join me on social media the links to my social media pages uh, in the description you should check it out and please rate the podcast you can rate the podcast you can share with your friends you can you know tell your friends hey listen to thoughtful randomness with bjb the show man and here's something that i'm passionate about i like you to donate to the podcast whatever amount you desire to donate we are building a system where we won't need to run ads on the podcast and your donations will go a long way to helping us achieve that so find a donation link in the description as well and thanks for being part of this journey my journey to conscious learning is your journey to conscious learning as well 